that are here this evening. Thank you for being here. I um, now never mind. If you're online this evening, I know we got a couple folks. Various reasons let us know they weren't able to be present, but are joining us online. So we welcome them uh, this evening as a part of this service as well. Why don't you stand for a moment? We're gonna. I want us just to take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to to speak to us this evening. I'm going to have you sit down in a moment before I begin to read some scriptures as we start. But um, let's pray. Father, thank you again for an opportunity to be together. Thank you for this opportunity of joining together and worship you. You're always worthy. You will always be worthy of our praise and our worship. So we trust that you have received it tonight as we have given it. God, I pray that you would speak to us again tonight. I trust and believe, God, you've been speaking to us the last several weeks on on this topic that we've been on and that there would be more than just knowledge and information in our minds, our heads, but it would get into our spirits and produce a change and a work. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, speak to us tonight, Father. Once again, give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to receive. Let our hearts be good ground this evening for the seed of your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't think this was it, but in case you did not see the realm post, we are going to be having communion Sunday evening as a part of our service. I think this may be the first time since COVID, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, but I just felt the other day, felt led to do that, so we'll be doing that Sunday evening in our service. We've spent the last three Thursday nights, not consecutively, because one of those weeks was an Oikos night, but we've, we've been talking about dueling laws, and I, I just want to remind you, we're going to, this last evening, I think, maybe when I get back in July, maybe we'll pick back up, who knows, but at least for now, this last evening, I, I want to kind of shift, not I, but trusting the Lord is shifting the focus a little bit. But I just want to remind you at the outset this evening that, that, again, Paul talks about the things that I should do, I don't do, and the things that I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. And so he talks about this, this, this uh, conflict that's going on with inside of him. And, and uh, I believe, I think over the last several weeks, we've, we have... Uh, nailed it down fairly well that this is a conflict that essentially will never cease until we get to heaven. That, that we do not reach the point where the, the, the law of the Spirit has now completely conquered the law of the flesh. That any opportunity, any moment, we give the slightest opening to the flesh. It's it's trying to claw its way back in to control in our lives. And, and I think we need to live soberly. The Bible tells us to live soberly. I, I talked to you several weeks ago on a Thursday night about the, the balance of truth. We, we spend a lot of time, and, and 
rightfully so. We spend a lot of time on the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. But part of the reason all of that is so important and significant to us is because of the other side of God. He's a jealous God. He's a God of judgment. He, he's a God that can be a God of wrath. And so we need both sides. And, and if, you, if you err on either one of those sides, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess you up. I know that's really a great theological way to say that. <laughs> If you err on the side of the judgment and the, you know, the, the laws and the wrath of God, you're, you're probably going to be a very somber, depressed human being. But if you err on the side of just focusing on the love and the grace of God, then you're probably going to live this carefree life that probably leads you down a path of violating the principles of the Word of God because God loves me. So we need that balance. And, and so, uh, I, but tonight, as I've said all along, each week, I, I know I've said this in some form or fashion, but while we, we need to be mindful, aware, sober about this idea that the carnal mind is the enemy of God, there's this conflict, also the good news is everything we need to be successful, everything we need to be victorious has been provided. In fact, and I hope that by the time I get done tonight, this may be a little bit of what you can get from this evening, is that really I've, I've got to work against. If I, wanna, if I don't want to succeed, if I don't want to make it in my walk with God, that means I've got to pretty much conscious, consciously fight against the things that are positively at work in me. So I want to read to you as a, as a starting point this evening the last couple of verses again from chapter 8, where, excuse me, chapter 7, where we've spent a good amount of time in the last several weeks. And I'm going to read it to you again from the passage translation. So beginning with verse number 20, Paul says this, So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. From being who I really am. Through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. To sabotage me. Truly, truly, truly. Deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God. But I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin. This unwelcome intruder in my hum, this, the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. What an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God for His mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus. 
the anointed one. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. I talked about what our default is last week. But now my renewed mind is fixed on and and submitted to God's righteous principles. So, So if I could, at the risk of oversimplifying this, really this all boils down to an identity crisis. This conflict and the effects of it all boils down to an identity crisis. Me determining, I can't determine it for you and you can't determine it for me. Me determining what is my true identity. And our struggle is we battle so often that our true identity is that side of us that fights against God. Or at least that's what the enemy is constantly trying to convince us of. How can you be, how can you really be sincere in your hunger and desire to live for God and and be a disciple of Jesus Christ and make it to heaven when when you've got these things that you're doing that you shouldn't do and, and you're not doing the things that you should be doing? And so we get into this spiral of that, you know what, maybe that's, Maybe that is the real me. But Paul says, I know I've got these two different things at work, but my true identity, my true identity is the one that wants to submit to the law of God. You you know that Jesus had to, in essence, settle deal with an identity crisis at the very onset of his ministry. He gets baptized by John, you know the story, and then the very next chapter, straightway, he's sent into the wilderness. He's in the wilderness fasting 40 days, 40 nights. The the devil comes to tempt him. And, And what does the devil come to tempt him with? If you are the Son of God, And, and of course, three times he says, if you are the Son of God, then do something to prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Jump off the temple. Do something to prove. Well, the, 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 the issue was, he didn't need to do anything to prove he was the Son of God. Because just a few moments, relatively speaking, a few days before, there was a voice that came from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, not in whom I will be well pleased, but in whom I am well pleased. And the enemy knew that somehow if he could get Jesus walking down a path of proving who he was by what he did... He would abort God's plan and purpose for his life. Because a couple of years later, it's now not just the devil that's saying this. Now it's a crowd that is saying. As he is hanging on the cross, the crowd is saying to him, If you are who you say you are, Prove it. 
If Jesus had not settled in the garden, or excuse me, in the wilderness, if He had not settled that He was the Son of God, did not have to do any tricks to prove it, if He would have given in to that then, He would have given in to that on the cross. And the process needed for our salvation would not have been completed. So the bottom line is this, I don't prove who I am by what I do. I prove who I am by who I am and who am I. I am now a son of God. I don't know yet what I will be, but what I know that I am is I am a son of God. And so if I could take the same principle and apply it to this this evening, my, the things that I do or don't do is not my identity. My true identity is the one that wants to do what God wants me to do. And I believe with all of my heart, you would not be sitting here this evening. You would not be living the life that you are choosing to live if that wasn't your true identity. God, help us to resolve in spite of what we do that we should not do and what we don't do that we should do. Help us to resolve our true identity. That's who I am. My true identity desires to please God. I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it. When I'm doing contrary to what I should, I I must conclude. I must conclude. You must conclude. You must decide. That guy that didn't pray today, that's not the real me. That guy that lost his temper today, that's not the real me. My true identity is the one that wants to please God. So, so again, use these verses last week, but 1 Corinthians 15, 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and after excuse me, afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy, the second man is of is the Lord from heaven, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, as, as is the heavenly, such are they also that are the heavenly. Now watch this. As we have borne the image of the earthy, as we have borne. That's what, that was our original identity, was the earthy. And, and we bore that image for some length of time. As I said, I think last week, I, I, I got baptized, got the Holy Ghost. I was like seven years old. But, and that was all genuine, sincere. But, but I, I, you know, I wasn't as consciously aware of what I was doing until probably at least my mid, if not my late teen years. 
And then many of you, 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 weren't, you didn't get baptized. You didn't get the Holy Ghost as a child. You, you came in in your adult life. So we, we've all spent some degree of time living our life based on the image of the earthly. That was our identity. But when we were born again, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We bore this image, we shall. Notice, if I take what Paul is saying there, it, you know, we, we got this line. If I'd have known this line would have ended up like this, we probably would have taken it up, but it served some good purposes. So. It would be wonderful if the change was as simple as crossing the line. I mean, wouldn't it be as wonderful as if stepping into a phone book booth? I don't know what Clark Kent would do nowadays. <laughs> stepping into the phone booth is one person and stepping out is another. Let's be honest, I think most of us consciously and probably more so subconsciously, we are looking for this instantaneous change. But I said it last week and I'll say it again tonight. It is a transition. It it is a process of going from living with that earthly image to now living with the heavenly image. It is a transition. So really what I got to make sure is, am I just still in the transition? Yeah, I still got some things that resemble that old image. But am I progressing and transitioning to the new image? I, I don't know if I've ever shared this in a public setting. Well, I probably have. I know I've said it a couple of times, but a couple of years ago I was on a, I don't mean to get on a hot button political topic here, but here we go. I, I, I was all gung ho. I was, I was going to get some kind of a gun. I was going to get some kind of a weapon. So uh, we, we, Esther and I, yes, Esther, Esther and I went and and uh, we did the HQL class. And um, uh, for those of you that may have an issue with that, I still don't have a gun yet. So, I don't, you know, I'm appealing to both sides of the aisle here. <laughs> but the, the, the day we did it, there was an issue with the, uh, with the fingerprinting at the place we did it. And so they couldn't finish the process. And, and uh, there was someplace else we had to go. And so we ended up... I think we ended up going a different day. So we went there, and, and uh, we, we go in, and she goes through the whole process first and, and uh, fills out the form, and the lady's going through the screen, and, um, and uh, she's, uh, she's checking Esther's information. Esther gets done, does her deal. So then it was, it was kind of this little cubicle area, and so Esther moves and stands to the door as I'm now... My turn, I filled out my form, it's been entered in the computer, and the lady is going through and, you know, confirming birth date and age and eye color, and, and then she says, hair color, brown, and the moment she said hair color, brown, Esther, standing in the door, busts out laughing. 
I'm still having an argument with my wife. There's still <laughs> the primary up here. You see, I, I, I was still seeing myself. You see, for better or worse, others tend to see us changed quicker than we see ourselves changed. And that's pretty common, so that must be the way God designed it. Maybe there's a good thing to that. No, maybe to it. It is a good thing. I, I, I may still, I may still be struggling with seeing myself from that old image. But I'm in this transition. The moment you, I'm, I'm gonna come back to this a little bit later this evening, but the moment you're born again. You begin that transition. Again, you don't just step across the line and suddenly. Brother J.T. Pugh, I heard him say one time in in, in one of his messages, I I can't remember the exact way he said it, but the, the, the gist of what he said is there are no thresholds in life that we step across into sudden change. It's a progression. And somewhere in this transition, I've got, to, I've got to understand, I've got these opposite laws that are still working. And, and I'm trying to stay away from this part tonight because we spent the last three Thursday nights I've taught on this. But the flesh is not going to give up. Which is why I've got to become more confident in my true identity. So, so listen to this. I, I, I touched on these verses a couple weeks ago, and, but, but going back to what I said here at the beginning, I've actually got to work against, as much as there is this conflict of these laws working inside of me, for the law of the flesh to ultimately succeed, I have got to be working against the things that God is doing and has provided Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now watch this, verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The Amplified says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. In Him I have, I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body I live by faith in, by adherence to and reliance on, complete reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Therefore, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace, the unmerited favor 
of God. The grace of God is at work in your life and my life as a child of God. And for the grace of God not to work, not to do what it's supposed to do, I have to frustrate it. Now that word frustrate means one thing to us, and I guess it could be the application, but 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 the, the Greek word frustrate means this. Properly it means to do away with something laid down, prescribed, established. It means to thwart the efficacy of anything, to nullify, to make void, to reject, to refuse. To thwart the efficacy of anything. Paul says, I do not thwart, I do not stop the grace of God from working in my life. How is it that I overcome these two laws? How, how is it that I get beyond that person that tries, that, that doesn't do what I should and does what I should? How do I get there? Because the grace of God is at work in my life. And the only way the grace of God is not going to work and succeed in my life is for me to nullify it. It's not your job and my job to somehow force grace to work. We have to force grace not to work. Oh, hallelujah. You ever, I, I don't, I got no, uh, no, no examples coming to mind off the top of my head, but you ever tried to force something to work? I got one now. A couple months ago, we, we bought some, New patio furniture, a couple of a little love seat and two end table or end chairs and a little coffee sized table, and I was trying to put them together. Somehow I got the bolt cross threaded. <laughs> trying to make it work. When you get it threaded right, you don't have to force it. Because when you get it threaded right, the point at which you feel like you're having to force it, it's now properly in. That's why I think that's how we often live. Oh, grace, you got to work. You got no, no. Grace is trying to work, but am I letting it? Am I flush? Am I voiding it? I said a couple of weeks ago, there, there's, a, there's a little bit of a, I guess, an angst inside of me at teaching some of this because the carnal mind could use it as a cop-out or an excuse. But at the end of the day, the carnal mind's going to come up with excuses and cop-outs anyway. So therefore, to the sincere hungry... It's, again, it's not a matter of, well, I just, I'm free to be me. No, 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 that's not, that's not the point because as I'll get to in a little bit, if, I, if that's the way I'm really living, then I'm feeding my flesh. But I, I, Paul says, I do not frustrate. I do not nullify the grace of God, I mean, it's kind of like, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not endorsing something by this example, so y'all don't go judging me on this. But I mean, it, it, I guess it'd be like taking a, um, a, a sleeping pill and washing it down with a bottle of Mountain Dew. 
You are nullifying the effects of one with something else. For the grace, oh God, for the grace of God not to be at work, for the grace of God not to work in my life, I have to void it. But if I will just allow it, let it work, it will work. If I won't fight it, it'll work. How am I going to overcome this conflict of the law of the flesh and the law of the spirit? By the grace of God working in me and me allowing grace to work. Here, here it is. This, I, I've said this many times before, and uh, you know, we John, John three, we we read it, and, and man, that's one of our candy sticks for the new birth experience, and rightfully so. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Except a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom. And so you got to be born again. And 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 my my frustration is, it seems to me that the term "born again" has become a segment of Christians. You know, some. Well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a born-again believer? What other kind of believer is there? Because born-again was never intended to be a segment of Christianity. Born-again is what everyone's got to do. It's what everyone's got to be. If you're going to enter the kingdom, if you're going to see the kingdom, you got to be born-again. <laughs> but I, I wonder, I wonder, do we... Do we truly, and we probably don't, and I would say that not as a slap, but as a fact that from our natural mind, our human finite mind, I don't know that we can fully comprehend it. But do we truly comprehend, do do we have some degree of, of a genuine comprehension of this idea of being born again? It's not just what we as apostolics do to define our niche in the Christian market. Hello, that's, it's not just the neat thing we do and preach so we can be a little bit different than everybody else. It's, 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 not, our, uh, it's, not, our, it's not our Big Mac sauce. It's, it's not our twist on it so that we can appeal to... Somebody, no! It's way more than that. It's way bigger than that. Listen, listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter 1, 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now watch this, being born again, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word which liveth and abideth forever. David said it this way in Psalm 51, I, I, was, I was born, in an, I was shapen in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. I was born, that was the seed I was born from. 
But when we are born again, we are born again with an incorruptible seed. When you were born again, you were born again with an incorruptible seed that is at work in your life, that if you will allow it, if you will let it, that incorruptible seed cannot be corrupted. Listen to a couple of other translations of that verse. The New Century Version says it this way. You have been born again and this new life did not come from something that dies, but from something that cannot die. You were born again through God's living message that continues forever. Contemporary Jewish Bible says it this way. You've been born again, not from some seed that will decay, but from one that cannot decay through the living Word of God that lasts forever. You were born again of an incorruptible seed. And the only way for that incorruptible seed to not produce in your life is you've got to kill it. Nothing else can, the devil can't stop it. The devil can do nothing to stop the incorruptible seed in your life from growing. Absolutely nothing. The only one that can prevent the incorruptible seed that you were born again of from producing what is in that seed is you. You know what, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking, I was sitting out back the other day, one of those beautiful days we had the other day, I was sitting out back just enjoying it for a little, and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of looking, and, and the neighborhood we live in is an older neighborhood, and we've got some amazing big trees, and I mean, the last couple of months, a bunch of neighbors are taking a bunch of those trees down after one of them fell on one of the houses in our neighborhood, and and uh, my wife's trying to get me to take a couple of them down, but um, I ain't got the money to, so I'm just trusting God. <laughs> and if it falls, Lord, we got a hedge. Just make sure it falls in between <laughs> houses. But I, I was sitting there, and you realize, I don't know what kind of trees they are. I need the poplar. I won't move on. <laughs> and think about, think about, I'm looking up at these trees and, and other plants. We got roses and other things, azalea bushes. And, and I'm, I'm looking at all these things. And, and all of those things came from a seed. Can, can, it, it, I can't comprehend the fact that everything necessary, the roots, the trunk, the bark, the branches, the leaves, if it's a fruit tree, the, every single thing came from a seed. I, I mean, some of those trees, the seeds are not much bigger around than that. 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 feet high trees that all came from a it was all in the seed. Oh, Jesus. When you were born again, you were born again with an incorruptible seed. 
everything that you are supposed to become in the kingdom, everything God has called you to be, was all in that seed. I wonder if we, I wonder how often we get this thing wrong because we're constantly chasing additions. We're constantly chasing things for God to add to us. I wonder if God's sitting there face palming himself saying, I, it's in the seed. It's in the seed. It's already in the seed. Let it work. Dress it and keep it. Nurture it, protect it, guard it, but just let it work. Amplified says it this way, You've been regenerated, born again, not from a mortal origin, seed, sperm, but from one that is immortal by the ever-living and lasting Word of God. Law of the flesh, you don't stand a chance if I'll just let the seed work. Law of the flesh, you've got no hope if I just won't frustrate the grace of God. The word incorruptible means uncorrupted, not liable to corruption or decay. Not liable to corruption or decay. Not liable to corruption or decay. Everything going in this, on in this world can't corrupt the incorruptible seed. Every failure and mistake in your life can't corrupt the incorruptible seed. It is an incorruptible seed. Imperishable. Imperishable. That's the word. That's the, that's the logos and the rhema at work in us. It is imperishable. It, it, that's it. I, I'm, I'm in this conflict... I want to do right, and I don't. I don't want to do wrong, and I do. But, but it's not okay, but it's okay. It's okay in the sense of the seed. The seed's working. The seed's working. The seed's working. I'm, 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 I'm getting rid of more and more of that earthy image. And I'm taking on more and more of that heavenly image. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. I'm I'm transforming. I'm transitioning more and more to be like Him. it's, it's It's a slow process, but I'm transitioning. I I don't mean to overwhelm you, overburden you with 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 my yard. But let me I, I, let me see if I can use this as just kind of a mental image. This this was a couple of years ago. That this this is that that 
There we go. That, that, that bite, you can't see it the greatest, but that bottom right, that, that, that was the condition of the backyard when we bought the house. There's actually a couple of azaleas in there, but it's tons of ivy. And, and, and that, that top picture is kind of, to me, like when you and I are born again. Everything is cleared out, dug up. We, we, my son's help, we were, we were digging out ivy, we were digging out bushes, we were digging it all out. And, and then, that was the initial look. I will never spend money on sod again. I've had two houses now that there's been some sod. In both houses, it's the grass seed that I eventually planted that grows, not the beautiful sod that was there. If you've had sod work, God bless you. Don't tell me about it. As some would say, sorry, because I don't know what I'm doing, but, you know. <laughs> so... But, but here's the deal. You know what I noticed? That it doesn't look like that anymore. I've reseeded and resown. But you know what I noticed periodically? I see some ivy leaves popping back up in the grass. I, I see some stuff that's still lying there because there's always this conflict. There's always this underlying thing that wants to take over. So, so, so listen to what Paul says. And, and, and this we, we spent a lot of time in chapter 7, a little bit in chapter 8. But listen to what he says here in chapter 8, verse number 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's the enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Your carnal natural mind cannot be subject to the law of God. So going back to chapter 7, when you've got that conflict going on, don't throw your hands up. Don't throw in the towel and say, what's the use? Because it's the carnal mind. That carnal mind that is and will always be the enemy of God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, but if the Spirit of Jesus, start over. But if the Spirit of Him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. You, you and I are not obligated to do what the flesh wants. That's not our that's not our obligation anymore. We are no longer debtors. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if ye through the Spirit 
do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If you will mortify the deeds of the body, the Amplified says, verse 13, this way, if you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually, somebody say habitually, not once and for all, not, well, I crossed the line, I'm done. No, habitually putting to death, making extinct, deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body, you shall really and genuinely live forever. The word mortify means to put to death. Metaphorically, it means to make, to die, to destroy, to render extinct. I have to mortify the deeds of my flesh, and that is a continual thing. And so how do I mortify the deeds of my flesh? The bottom line is this. You cannot feed the fleshly man and the spiritual man simultaneously. It is an impossibility to feed them both at the same time. They do not eat the same things. Your fleshly man and your spiritual man do not eat the the same things. So how do I mortify the deeds of of my body? I do that by feeding my spiritual man. Because as I feed my spiritual man, my natural man is going hungry. And so I must constantly feed the spiritual man. And the bottom line is, I'm basically always feeding one or the other. I'm either feeding my carnal mind, or I'm feeding that spiritual man. I'm starving one, or I'm starving the other. And I think part of the problem is, too many Christians live... Trying to feed both. Trying to give each one of them just enough to live. Rather than realizing, again, grace, the incorruptible seed, God has given, put within us everything necessary to be victorious. Thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory. But going back, as I did last week, all the way to the beginning in the garden, God said to Adam, your job with the garden is to dress it and to keep it. You are supposed to nurture it, cultivate it, take care of it, and you are supposed to guard it. And so while there is an incorruptible seed that I've been born again with, while there is grace that is at work, I've got to nurture that. I've got to feed that. I've got to grow that by what I give it. And I've got to kill the other man by not giving it what it wants. I'm so... You probably you may hear this a little bit as a part of Sunday night, but I am so I'm just deeply disturbed how often we spend time trying to somehow justify getting away with as much as we can of the world. Well, it's just I mean it's only a couple of words of profanity. It's 
It's only a couple of scenes. I mean, they don't really go all the way, but just... And, and we just keep, if nothing else, we keep throwing that natural man a bone. Mortify. You've got to mortify. You've, you've got to kill. You've got to destroy the deeds of the body. If you'll do that, you will live. Again, Everything necessary to be victorious has been provided. But, but I guess if I could say it this way, I am not just a passive observer in this process. I've got grace that if I don't frustrate it, it's working. I've got an incorruptible seed that, that if I will... Dress the garden, keep the garden, it's going to grow and produce. I've been given the tools necessary to overcome. It's all been provided. I've got to let it work and I've got to do my part in, in mortifying How much are you feeding your spiritual man? I've said it many times, and I'm sure I'll keep saying it. If the only food you're giving your spiritual man is what it's getting Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night, you're definitely barely surviving. Again, I I, I think it may have been last... It was last Thursday before I got into teaching. I got all this stuff been going around, all these, all these mental battles, all these questionings and doubtings and questioning myself and questioning where I am in God, questioning can I do what I'm called, all this stuff and, 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 and realizing, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not getting that out of the Word of God. I sat the first night of the, of the Difference Maker class, master class that some have been doing on Monday nights, and, and uh, I forget exactly how it was phrased in the notes, but it was something about uh, positive words that have been spoken or prophecies you've been given or something along those lines. And I sat there and I began to write, and, and, and I came up in just a matter of moments, I came up with like six different Significant words that God has given me from powerful men of God. <laughs> About who, I mean, some of them for, from decades ago. Who I would be, what I am, what I'm going to be. And I'm, I'm spending all this time battling and questioning. Why? Because of what I've been feeding. What I've been feeding on. And you know what? I've, I've experienced some changes in the last week because I've been turning, tuning out some of those voices. I've, I've turned off the source of some of those things. If you're battling fear, you're not getting that from the Word of God. 
If you're battling doubt for your future and hopelessness, you're not getting that from the Word of God. If you're questioning whether or not God has a purpose and a plan for your life, you're not getting that from the Word of God. That's not where you You can't get that from there. So therefore, you're feeding that man and he's growing and expanding. You've got to kill him. And the way you kill him is by starving him. Mortify. And you'll live. Again, this all here, here's the challenge with, with this, this the, the good news. The good news that we can overcome. We can be victorious. That's the good news, but there's still a responsibility. Paul says it this way in Romans 6 and 16. Know ye not that to whom you, what? Yield. To whom you yield. To whom I yield myself servants to obey. His servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin you became the servants of righteousness. It was my choice. Your choice. Again, I, I think I said it last week, but I'll say it again. The devil can't make you do anything. There is no such thing as the devil made me do it. Because there's no such thing that I know of in all of Scripture where God made anyone do anything. So if God doesn't make anyone do anything, the devil can't make anyone. Well, what about those that are possessed? Well, what about the man that had thousands of demons and still found himself at the feet of Jesus? You've got to... Let it work. You've got to allow it to happen. You, whoever you yield yourselves servants to obey. So what about those that have, they've reached the point of addiction and they can't seem, well, they've, they've fed something for too long. <laughs> Bottom line is, how does somebody end up, you don't... Thankfully, I've never had an issue with drugs or alcohol or any of that. Some of you have had. I'm pretty certain nobody ever got addicted after the first drink. Nobody ever got addicted after the first time they got high. It was the recurrence that led you to the point of now not... Why? Because... You were, you were mortifying the wrong man. <laughs> you were killing the wrong one. Whoever I, I yield myself to, to obey, that's going to determine who lives and who dies. If I yield myself as the servant of sin... 
that side of me that's always doing the wrong thing or not doing the things, that's the one that's going to live. But if I will yield, I was thinking at the beginning of this service, knowing some of what I was going to say, that how do, I, how do I, Brother Wright, how do I let the grace of God work? How do I let the incorruptible seed work? I'll tell you one way how you do that. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart. I worship you, all I have within me. I give you praise, all that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. I live for you alone, every breath that I take. Every moment I'm awake, have your way in me. I messed up today, but have your way in me. I I didn't get it right today, but this is my desire. How do I let grace work? By doing what David did when confronted with his sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. Wash me thoroughly. Make me me clean. That's how I do it. How do I let grace work? I let it work by when I fall. When, not if, when I fall. A righteous man falls seven times. The prophet uh, Micah, I think Micah says, Malachi or Micah, which one is it? Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, because... When, not if, when I fall, I shall arise. I'm letting the incorruptible seed work by when I fall, acknowledging I fell, but getting back up and continuing on. That's how I'm letting grace work. Letting grace work by not just giving up. I'm letting grace work by by acknowledging when I fall, I acknowledge I fell. But but if I will confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is it? Why is it that we had so little trouble for the most part? We had so little trouble asking God to forgive us the first time for our sins when we were first born again. But after that, Well, we now know better. Yeah, that's right, we do. But, but He also has gotten more invested in us now than He did before. So my, my opinion is, if He's so ready to forgive the sinner who doesn't even have any, doesn't have Him in them yet, how much more is He interested in forgiving the ones that He has filled with His Spirit? letting grace work when I acknowledge, I'm letting grace work when I'm, I'm not denying the fact, you know what, I do do the things I shouldn't and I don't do the things I should, but that's not the real me. The real me is that incorruptible seed and it's the grace of God that is at work. And here I go again, it doth not yet appear what I shall be. But I know that when He shall appear, I will be like Him. i got to tell you, as I was studying today and 
going over some stuff I was reading that's not a part of the note. I went back to those verses again, 1 John chapter 3, first couple of verses. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I have to be honest with you, until today as I reread that, there was something inside of me that always read that verse, verse 3, every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure. I've always read that verse as sort of us being passive. That whatever is in us is pure, but I reread it today. That's actually not really what it's saying. Every man that purifieth himself Meaning, I have a responsibility. Going back to the garden, dressing it and keeping it. If I've, I've got this hope. I've got this hope of what I'm going to be. I've got this hope that I shall be like Him. And because of that hope, I am going to work to purify myself. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reason. Reasonable service. So there's this hope I have inside of me that I'm going to be just like him. And so I'm going to do. I'm going to do those things that are going to help nurture and nurture and grow what is at work inside of me. I reread a portion of this last week, and I'm going to read the second part of it. This is from the thing I posted a couple of weeks ago on Realm by Charles Spurgeon, but as I, as I wrap up this evening, the enemy is so securely entrenched within us that he can never be driven out while we are in this body. That's the, that's the part we, we, we've got to be aware of. We've got to remember. He's always going to be there. But here is the good news. But although we are closely beset and often in sore conflict, we have an almighty helper, even Jesus, the captain of our salvation, who is ever with us and who assures us that we shall eventually come off more than conquer through him with such assistance the newborn nature is more than a match for its foes are you fighting with the adversary today are satan the world and the flesh all against you be not discouraged nor dismayed fight on for god himself is with you jehovah nisi is your banner and jehovah raphi is the healer of your wounds Fear not, you shall overcome, for who can defeat omnipotence? Fight on, looking unto Jesus, and though long and stern be the conflict, sweet will be the victory and glorious the promised reward. Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
The good news is, you didn't start this in your life. You're not here because of some confession of faith that you made one day. You're not here because you made a decision to become a Christian. You are here because God started something in you. This is one of those places where we get a little bit kind of thrown off with the English word as we're used to it. Because that word author, A-U-T-H-O-R, we, we relate that automatically nowadays to the writer of a book. And I've preached using that at times and I think it works okay and it's, you know, it's a neat little whatever. But the real truth of the matter is the Greek word there for author is not the writer of a book. It's the other part of the finisher. That word author is the originator. He is the originator, the starter of your faith, and He is the finisher. Do you want to guarantee that He'll finish it? How many of you want to guarantee that He'll finish it? Here's the guarantee. He started it. That's all the guarantee you need. The fact that He started it is the guarantee that if you will let it work, if you will let the seed work, He will finish. Philippians 1, in the King James, it says it along these lines, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. The Amplified says it this way, And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of His return, developing that good work and perfecting it, bringing it to full completion in you! You know what that verse means all of us ought to do? All of us ought to do this as a result of that verse. (sighs) I'm still here. He hasn't come. I haven't died. He's still at work. Until... The day of Jesus Christ. Right up to the time of His return. The work is going to get finished one of two ways in every one of our lives. Death or rapture. That's it. So the bottom line is, as long as you're still living, He's still at work if you will let Him. And the good news is, as long as you are living, there's still work to be done. And that's okay. It's okay, because he's going to be working right up to the time. But, 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 but un- unlike us, that's not because he's a procrastinator. Oh my goodness, i got to get it all done right now. I'm pretty sure our house is not the only household this way, I'm pretty sure. But there's nothing like some company coming to be a motivator to get some projects done. 
I'm living it right now. Over the course of the next week or so, between the wedding and other stuff, we, we got company that's going to be coming to the house. I've been painting the front door. I've been painting the front windows. Had Brother Mike helping paint a few things. I got, I got some plants that we just got today that got to get planted. I got pictures that need to be moved. There, there is a slight chance that right up to the time of company coming, I'll be doing. But, but there's a chance that for me, that's because I'll be putting it off. That's not, that's not what he's doing in your life and my life. Well, I'll get around to you. I got a couple more years with you, so I'll... You still got time, so I'll, I'll, I'll do... No, no. He, he, he's got it planned out, and, and I believe the, the, one of the simple reasons, this is probably not the only explanation, may not even be the best explanation, but I believe one of the reasons for that is because if he got it done any sooner and we got it done, knew he got it done any sooner than that day, we probably would just put it on cruise control, which means that other nature... Oh, I got my chance now. And so he's going to be working in you and me if we will let it right up to the time of his return or your death. And the great news is, whether it's the rapture, or us dying, He knows the exact moment of both. So He knows when in each one of our lives the deadline is. And it's not going to catch Him off guard. And as so, so as long as I am not frustrating the grace of God, I'm allowing it to work in my life. And as long as I'm letting that incorruptible seed continue to grow, He will perform it. He will complete it. He will finish. He will finish. I've said this so many times before, but I'll use it again this evening. There are people in this room, you are great project starters. And part of that is just your personality, the adrenaline you get off of starting a project. And most project starters are not great project finishers. Because not too long into starting the new project, the adrenaline begins to wear off. And so what's the next thing we can start because we need some more adrenaline? Thank God for those that know how to plod along and finish what was started. But we, we are very accustomed to, to seeing things started and not finished. I would venture to say every one of us in this room, fortunately in a lot of areas, probably just trivial things, but I would venture to say many of us in this room tonight could pretty quickly think of something or some things that we started and 
didn't finish. And, 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 and there can be a variety of reasons for that. Well, one of the reasons that some people start things and don't finish is because you, you didn't realize you didn't really have all the resources to finish. You, you didn't have everything needed to finish. What It was not about the fact that you're just an adrenaline junkie. You just you didn't have what it took to finish. Or maybe you started something and then found out you didn't have the ability. It was bigger. It was more difficult than you thought. And I think we have a tendency to subconsciously transmit that to God. And that like us in our human weaknesses, God is, He's for whatever reasons, He's not going to finish. He's going to run out of resources. He's going to not... Can I tell you tonight, God has the resources and the ability to finish Whatever he starts. And I'm going to say it again. The moment you were born again, he started it. And that in and of itself is all the guarantee you need. That if you will let him, he will. He will finish it. You understand that for people that have been born again to end up going to hell, you're going to have to work really hard. I don't think we usually think of it that way. But according to the things I've read, some of the things I've read to you tonight, and I believe other things throughout Scripture, for a person who's been born again to end up lost, you've actually got to work really hard at it. Because there are so many things that God is trying to do to empower and equip us to make it. So the bottom line is this. If that really is the case, and I believe it and I hope you believe that. If it really is going to take a lot of effort to be lost after you've been born again. For those of us that are desiring to make it to heaven and not just to make it to heaven but to be what God wants us to be to be who God has called us to be if it takes a lot to not get there why are we letting the devil torment us with whether or not there's enough to get us there Bottom line is, the only reason the enemy is warring against your mind that you don't have what it takes, that God can't do it in you and through you, the only reason the enemy's telling you all of that is because he knows that you have what it takes, you have what is necessary inside of you, God can do it, and therefore he is telling you. So what's, what's your true identity. What's your true identity? Is your true identity that 
that old man that's still trying to live and shows himself every now and then. Is, is, that, is that your true identity? Or is your true identity this new man in Christ? And you and I have every right to choose that my true identity is not that guy that does what he shouldn't do or doesn't do what he... That's not, that's not the true me. True me is that incorruptible seed that I was born again with. The true me is the grace that is at work inside of me, growing me and developing me into who God has called me to be. I, I was thinking, this is my last Thursday night for over a month, so I was trying to quit, but I may keep you for another moment here. I, I, I was thinking, this may be a weird thought, I guess, but I was thinking the other day, you know, Brother Barr, it must be really nice to be a tree <laughs> or a, some kind of a plant. Because you know what? You, you know what those trees out back at the building do? They stand there as who God created it to be. And it's not standing there going, man, I wish I was that tree over there. Or it's not standing there going, man, I'm just not as big as all the other trees. Or man, look how, look how, look how wide and big the trunk of that, look how scrawny the trunk of my tree is, or... Or, you know, here I am, a poplar, why couldn't I be an oak? Or, or here I am, an azalea, why couldn't I be roses? They don't do that. I know they don't have brains, so they can't do that. I get that. But, my, but the bottom line is, God made it. And therefore, all it does is exist as who God made it to be. And the reason I say that is because even, even lately I still find myself at 50 years old, I still find myself, man, I'm not them, or how come I'm not them, or wow, I don't measure up to that, and, and boy, I'm not as powerful as they are, and I can't do what they do. And I, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's only one thing to decide. Are you being who God made you to be? Are you doing what God called you to do? That's it. That's it. How much some of this stuff I've been teaching about the last couple of weeks is compounded because we're looking. You, you know I, I love church. I love coming to church. I love being a part of church. And, 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 and I've, 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 you know, there's, I, I love the fact that and there's something that happens when you can come in struggling and weary and tired. That's why I don't. That's why I don't get. Oh boy, I've trying not. I've been trying for weeks not to go here, but but that's why I don't get people just so easily skipping out of church, because you, you, you're not going to get any blessings sitting at home. You're not going to get. You're not going to get virtue at home. There's no telling what God may do if you come to church. There's no telling you may leave transformed. I, 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 
And, and I've said it, you know, there, there's times that I've come in and I didn't feel like worshiping. I didn't feel like doing what I was supposed to do. But, but nothing else because of my responsibility as the pastor, I did it. But I can promise you there's never been one time that I started off not wanting to worship and worshiping out of obligation. That at some point there wasn't this transition that it was now I'm doing it because, yeah, yeah, this is what I want to. This is what I feel like doing. But, but here's the problem. Here's the problem that enemy often uses against us. We sit here and look at each other at how we act and what we do in church. And most of the time, many of us leave feeling like we are just the biggest bunch of losers in the world. Because we know our weaknesses and our struggles. We know what we're going through. And we walk, here, we walk in here and what's everybody doing? Woo, yeah. And so we judge everybody's spirituality by what we see in here. And I don't mean that as being we're hypocrites. Because I, there's, as I said, there's... That's one of the blessings of having a role of, of ministry and leadership, a weight of responsibility that it'll oftentimes motivate you to do what you don't feel like doing. But usually if you'll let it, it'll bring about a transition. I mean, if, 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 I, if I truly measured everyone by by your actions here in a service i I don't mean this to be hear me i'm not trying to say this to be unkind but i I mean i would think you're all just spiritual giants and i'm thinking i'm not and i bet you a bunch of you do the same thing so so the bottom line is it's we don't compare ourselves among ourselves We don't judge ourselves by ourselves. And those that do so are not wise. There are so many things in in, in this world that that are relative. Short and tall is relative. Fat and skinny is relative. I've seen people that, in my opinion, were pretty skinny, griping about being fat. I wanted to knock them in the head. I can I can I could pick some people in here this evening and stand next to them. I could bring Jordan up here and I could stand next to her and I'd be tall. I could bring Brother David up here and I'd suddenly get short. All because of who I'm comparing. The the problem is this. If if I'm comparing myself you know, this is where I am right now, and I'm comparing myself to someone that's up here. The bottom line is this. You don't know if they are where they're supposed to be. So you may actually be here where God has designed you to be for the time being. You may look at them where they are, but God really may have intended for them to be here. And so what you're measuring by is not even accurate. And then the flip side... You may be here looking at those how much better off and more spiritual you are, except they are exactly where they're supposed to be, but you're... So the bottom line is, God, where, according to you, your will, your plan, 
your purpose for my life am I supposed to be? And am I allowing, am I allowing your spirit to do that in me? It's not how do I measure up to you. It's not how do you measure up to me. I, I, got, I, I, hit, I had this revelation. I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. I had this revelation just a couple of years ago. I've spent most of my life comparing myself and my ministry to my dad and his ministry. Meaning comparing myself at my age to him at his age. And then all of a sudden it hit me a couple of years ago. Wait a minute. <laughs> you can't compare yourself at you know, 45 to him at 65. Because that's, he's got 20 more years of growth and development and wisdom and knowledge. And, and, and I'm not saying I should compare myself to him at 45, but my point is even when we choose to compare, we're not even comparing by what we should compare with. How about we, how about we agree together tonight? I'm going to judge myself by my true identity. And I'm going to just let the grace of God work in my life. And that incorruptible seed produce what is in that seed. Father, I pray that the things you've given me over the last several weeks culminating in this evening. I pray, God, that there has been and that there will continue to be revelation and understanding that would continue to develop in our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Lord, you know the, the battle, the weight that the enemy tries to put us under, the load of condemnation and guilt that he tries to bring against us and so often we give in to that and we add to the things he says on our own but I pray that tonight God by your grace you would help us help us to be believers in our true identity as you have determined it to be and let grace work freely in our lives. I pray, God, if there's any way in which I am frustrating, I am nullifying your grace in my life, I pray that you would help me tonight, God, to allow grace to work and function in and through me the way you intended, to let that incorruptible seed that I've been born again with produce what is in that seed. Lord, we declare tonight that you are the author and the finisher and that you will finish what you have started. We don't have to fear if you'll finish it. We don't have to give in to the adversary's accusations of worry and doubt, but we can trust that you will finish what you've started. If we'll just stay in the process and allow you to do it. In the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus name.